Good evening and welcome to NTD News. I'm Stephanie Cox. Here are today's top stories. Illegal immigrants are dropped off near the vice president's residence just days after she said the border is secure. We hear from lawmakers and those illegal immigrants. Former President Trump warns of big problems if he's indicted. He also tells of how such a development could affect his decision whether to run for president again. TikTok's chief operating officer says China-based employees have access to user data, but the Chinese regime doesn't. How can we know for sure? A new supply chain crisis is averted. Union workers will now vote on a tentative deal with rail companies. What's in the deal and what are officials saying about it? And getting a booster shot before opening those textbooks. Many universities are mandating COVID boosters for students this year. A study says that comes with a risk. Former President Trump is warning of big problems if he's indicted. This while a senator condemns threats against the FBI. I think they'd have big problems, big problems. Former President Trump discusses what would happen if he were indicted for allegedly mishandling classified documents. I think if it happened, I think you'd have problems in this country, the likes of which perhaps we've never seen before. I don't think the people of this country would stand for it. Especially, now, now, since, they know, especially you, since they know I'm totally innocent. Trump, speaking Thursday to conservative radio host Hugh Hewitt, adds that such a development would not stop him from running again for president. And as you know, if a thing like that happened, I would have no prohibition against running. You know that. The Justice Department is investigating if Trump improperly stored classified documents at his Mar-a-Lago home. Trump says the documents were declassified. Meanwhile, Hours after Trump's Thursday comments, the Democratic chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee calls Trump's rhetoric dangerous. His careless and inflammatory rhetoric has its consequences. Uh, inviting the mob to return to the streets is exactly what happened here January 6, 2021. The senator also notes a rise in threats against law enforcement. And I will just tell you, it was stunning, the number of threats that have been uh, cataloged and indexed since uh, the, the August 8th search at Mar-a-Lago. Meanwhile, asked if his remarks are inciting violence, Trump says... It's not inciting. I'm just saying what my opinion is. I don't think the people of this country would stand for it. Reporting by Iris Tao, NTD News. And over 100 illegal immigrants were dropped off in front of Vice President Kamala Harris's home and dozens more near an Obama residence in Martha's Vineyard. NTD's Jason Perry has that story. Earlier this week on NBC's Meet the Press, Vice President Kamala Harris was asked if America's southern border is secure. We have a secure border in that that is a priority for any nation, including ours and our administration. And just a few days later, Texas Governor Greg Abbott sent two buses of over 100 illegal immigrants to D.C. They were dropped off right in front of the vice president's residence. I chose to take a bus to bring me here, which was leaving free of charge, and the destination they were offering that day was Washington, D.C. We didn't expect to be left adrift here without knowing where to head to. Our objective is to reach New York. Texas Governor Greg Abbott tweeted this. 
Harris has yet to see firsthand the impact of the open border policies. And later on Thursday, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis had about 50 illegal immigrants flown into Martha's Vineyard, a small island in Massachusetts where former President Barack Obama has a home. I have a lot of faith and patience in the people here. They are helping us. Governor Ron DeSantis commented. We are not a sanctuary state, and it's better to be able to go to a sanctuary jurisdiction. And yes, we will help facilitate that transport for you to be able to go to greener pastures. Republican and Democratic lawmakers have opposite reactions. People who want to turn public service and government into a stunt, they earn my contempt. It's a terrific idea. Um, I don't know how else to get President Biden's and Vice President Harris's attention to the broken borders. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said this. To leave migrants, including children, on the side of a busy D.C. street makes clear that this is just a cruel, premeditated political stunt. Meanwhile, Fox News reporter Bill Malugan tweeted a video of people scaling the border wall with a rope. I asked Todd Benzman of the Center for Immigration Studies what's going on. What's happening there is the Border Patrol agents that used to be there have been transferred to Yuma or Texas to process in the families. And all the night long, they just send hundreds and hundreds over the wall. And there's nobody there to catch them. Illinois is the latest place to declare an emergency over illegal immigrants. Jason Perry, NTD News. And as concerns grow about social media and national security, senators ask TikTok if they'll stop sharing data with China. NTD's Arlene Richards reports. At a Senate committee hearing on Wednesday, TikTok Chief Operating Officer Vanessa Pappas said in a prepared speech, quote, there's no responsibility more important to me than protecting the people on our platform. She also said that the company has been, quote, working assiduously to address national security concerns identified by U.S. policymakers and regulators. But when asked a specific question about national security concerns, Pappas stuck to the script. Can you make the commitment, though, that I just asked you to make, that you will commit to cutting off all data and metadata flows to China, Chinese-based TikTok employees, ByteDance employees, or any other party located in China? What I can commit to is that our final agreement with the U.S. government will satisfy all national security concerns, yes. John Mills, a former Pentagon cybersecurity director, said the TikTok executive is being coached. Let's face it, this is, this is a legal game that is being played back and forth between them and us. And they are playing the seam line, essentially because they are pretending to be TikTok USA Incorporated and pretending to know nothing and have no connection to TikTok China Incorporated, which is utter silliness. It's no secret that Chinese TikTok employees inside and outside of China can access U.S. user data. But Papa said there were protocols to ensure sensitive information doesn't get into the wrong hands. Meanwhile, Mills recalled that China stole 21 million files out of the Office of Personnel Management, a federal agency that manages civil servants. There is nothing good about, about this. NTD reached out to TikTok for comment on Chinese employees viewing the U.S. data and a spokesperson said in an email that access to data is controlled by a U.S.-led security team. Mills said the Chinese Communist Party uses data from TikTok to influence Americans. For every dollar 
Russia can throw at disinformation and manipulation. China can throw 20 to shape, manipulate, cause hate and discontent in American society. My estimate was 100 million they spent uh, to manipulate the social activities during uh, the summer of 2020. The Senate hearing came one day after Twitter whistleblower Peter Zatko told Congress that Twitter is employing a Chinese agent. Arlene Richards, NTD News, New York. A railroad strike is averted for now. While un union leaders appear pleased with the deal, workers still have to vote on it. President Biden announced the news today. NTD's Melina Weiskup reports. After 20 hours at the negotiating table and a heavy lift from the White House, dissatisfied union rail workers and railroad companies reached a tentative deal. Both business and labor, they worked through this, they worked through the supply, and it's, it's just critical, critical. A strike would interfere with an already fragile economy and further fuel inflation because prices of all materials that are shipped off by rail could go up. The workers vowed not to strike while the votes are being tallied for their tentative deal. The deal would give rail workers pay raises, 24% over five years, plus $5,000 in bonuses. Sick leave was one of the major asks from the workers. They were making them work too much. They, they, they cut their staffing. They ran short staffed and expected other people to work more than they, they should have. Our goal was to change that. The president says he thinks the deal will benefit both workers and companies, allowing them to recruit more workers. And this is a win for tens of thousands of rail workers and for their dignity and the dignity of their work. It's a recognition of that. Here we are with just eight weeks away from the midterms, and this very urgent situation gave the pro-union president a chance to shine. He was personally involved here, giving calls to both the businesses involved as well as the union workers to push them to come to an agreement to avoid a supply chain crisis. But the work is not over yet. Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg today committed to keeping the railroads operating smoothly this weekend. Uh, my department continues to work uh, to uh, make sure that uh, any of the um, uh, impacts on service that happen just from the preparation uh, for the possibility of a shutdown uh, works through the system and, and will continue to support rail operators through the weekend. Amtrak is now scrambling to restore canceled trains. The company says they're, quote, reaching out to impacted customers to accommodate on first available departures. Union workers now have to vote on the deal to prevent a future strike, which could freeze almost 30 percent of U.S. cargo shipments and cost the economy up to $2 billion per day. Reporting in Washington, D.C., Melina Weiskup, NTD News. Senator Rand Paul yesterday criticized Dr. Anthony Fauci for recommending booster shots for children who've already had COVID-19. Meanwhile, a new study suggests that boosters for young people could be more dangerous than the virus itself. Many students across the U.S. are allowed to start or resume their studies this year only if they get a third shot of a COVID-19 vaccine. But do the vaccine's benefits to students outweigh the risks? According to a team of nine experts from Harvard, Oxford, Johns Hopkins, and other top universities, giving boosters to this group of people can be worse than the disease itself. The scientists published a study of 18 to 29-year-olds without previous COVID infection who got booster shots. They estimate that it takes 22 to 30,000 booster shots to prevent one theoretical COVID hospitalization 
But for every hospitalization prevented, they anticipate 18 to 98 serious adverse events. Dr. Peter McCullough, an internist and cardiologist, tells NTD those side effects can be even worse than the hospitalizations. A serious adverse event, by definition, is one that requires hospitalization as life-threatening or causes death. He says the greatest risk to college students is myocarditis, which studies have associated with the vaccine. So they're not safe. Even one case of myocarditis is one case too many in a college-age population. The illness is always easily treatable. That's the main point. The scientists who conducted the study also say that vaccine mandates for students are unethical and lack scientific support. But not everyone agrees. The National Bureau of Economic Research released a study saying that college vaccine mandates are good for surrounding areas. They found that college mandates reduced the total number of COVID deaths in a country by 5.4 per 100,000 people, a drop of 13 percent. However, Dr. McCullough cited a report by the World Council of Health that showed the combined number of deaths after COVID vaccination. There's over 40,000 deaths that have occurred after the vaccines, within a few days typically. This is unacceptable. Vaccines should have been pulled off the market with just a handful of deaths. The World Council for Health is calling for a global recall after several stern warnings. He added that we can treat the remaining cases and close out the pandemic without the vaccines. Reporting by Arian Pazdar, NTD News. A new study says Christianity is shrinking in the U.S. The study by the Pew Research Center also says within just a few decades, Christianity may no longer be the majority religion. Earlier today, I spoke with Ryan Helfenbein, executive director of the Standing for Freedom Center, for his perspective. Ryan Helfenbein, welcome to our show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Stephanie. Great to be on. Now, a new study out says Christianity is shrinking in the U.S., while atheism and agnosticism is on the rise. How do you think this will affect our country? Well, I think that the question comes from two different angles. If you're looking at the Pew Research uh, Forum's uh, most recent uh, story that came out, their report, they're looking at this largely from a demographic, a segment of the population based on how people self-identify. But the reality is the Christian faith, the Christian religion, is not one based on uh, demographic studies in terms of people being born, but rather people being born again. And if you look at the tenets of the Christian faith, it really is about the Great Commission. And so the study is talking about a demographic that is losing steam, that is largely becoming segmented, and over time will make up the minority in this country in terms of a cultural study. Now, from a geopolitical standpoint, that can be very problematic. When you think about the Constitution, where we are as a nation, it does require what the founders call a moral and religious people. It's one of the pillars of freedom. But the reality is, is that if there is going to be a Christian future, one in which Christians make up the majority segment of the population, that has everything to do with churches and very little to do with political science. And that is the reality that is at a crossroads right now. And looking at youth, 31% of Americans between the ages of 15 and 29 who are raised as Christians reportedly become unaffiliated with their religious identity that they were raised with. 
How much do you think schools and universities could be impacting this? Oh, I, I think it's everything, actually. Uh, it's determinative at the level of education uh, as early as kindergarten. At the end of the day, worldview matters. Uh, there's been a large, uh, there's been a, an imbalance, if you will, uh, in public education for decades because public education has been treated as value neutral, uh, largely secular. We won't force or foist upon people a kind of religious viewpoint. However, secularism is a privileged religious viewpoint. At the end of the day, having no God is just as religious as it is anti-religious. Uh, so it it is a value system. It is a worldview. So if children uh, K through 12 are going through an educational model uh, that is that is uh, largely considered secular. Uh, that is the main reason, uh, the main thing that you can point to uh, for them leaving the Christian faith. One hour in church a week or a couple of hours in youth group a week are not going to overcome 32 hours of secular indoctrination in taxpayer-funded schools. And what do you think families can do to help their children maintain a connection to their religion, even with external influences? I would say that they need to absolutely be adamant about a religious education. I think that it's not just enough to send them off to school. I think that there's always a bias. It's what kind of bias do you want them to have? Just as you want a pro-American bias to train up the next generation to love their country, a pro-religious bias in education is also essential to maintaining a religious framework. So at the end of the day, parents have more alternatives today than ever before, uh, largely made possible uh, through online education, through co-ops, through homeschooling, through private education, and all the like. There is, there's far more options and alternatives today than ever before. Now, Pew researchers suggest that social upheavals could impact people's religious identities. Why do you think it's important for people to hold on to their religious beliefs during uncertain times? Well, I, I think uh, that's a Great question. When you think about crisis hitting a nation, going all the way back to the Great Depression and World War II, there were many moments in which um, President FDR, uh, the, the previous, uh, by the way, King of England, called upon the nation of England to pray humbly uh, to pray at the Battle of Dunkirk. There have been many moments throughout history. Uh, Dwight uh, D. Eisenhower, uh, President of the United States, was baptized on Christmas Day, uh, largely as a model uh, for Americans uh, to understand that not only was he a president, but a Christian president. So it's absolutely important. I think it's informative. And in moments of crisis, where do we turn but our faith and our faith in God, understanding that it is not governments that act the role of savior, but governments act the role of servant. At the end of the day, we have to put our trust in God, not in government. All right. Thank you very much, Ryan Helfenbein, Executive Director of Standing for Freedom Center. Thank you, Stephanie. The Mosquito Fire is now California's largest wildfire this year. It's being driven by dryness instead of wind. And TD's Daniel Hall reports. 
The Mosquito Fire surpassed the McKinney Fire to become the largest blaze to burn in California this year. The fire covers roughly 65,000 acres as of Thursday morning and is 20% contained. Scott McLean, spokesperson for the fire's joint command, told the LA Times that while wind is generally a major concern in the spread of wildfires, the Mosquito Fire has largely expanded due to dry vegetation and the now past heat wave. Firefighters battle a spot fire that jumped the middle fork of the American River on Tuesday afternoon. They're now working to protect the mountain communities of Forest Hill and Georgetown. Smoke from the fire continued to blow throughout Northern California and beyond. Smoke is blanketing the area from Reno, Nevada to Sacramento, where air quality is expected to reach hazardous levels on Thursday and into the weekend. Coming up, Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping has left China for the first time in two years. And today, he met with an old friend, Russian President Vladimir Putin. And the world's biggest tennis star says goodbye. NTD's Dave Martin has more on Roger Federer's place in tennis history. That and more coming up. Chinese leader Xi Jinping meets with Russian President Vladimir Putin, who he calls an old friend. NTD's Chenny Wu tells us more about what the two leaders discussed. China and Russia have both been escalating tensions with the West, and now they seem to be joining forces. Together we have managed to achieve tangible results in the development and interaction in the economy, trade, industry, science and high technology, environmental protection, cultural, humanitarian and many other areas. On Thursday, Chinese Communist leader Xi Jinping and Russian President Vladimir Putin met in Uzbekistan, the first meeting since Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Putin thanked Xi for Beijing's so-called balanced position on the situation in Ukraine. China has refrained from condemning Russia's operation against Ukraine or calling it an invasion. This is in line with the Kremlin's stance, which refers to the war as a special military operation. Xi did not mention Ukraine in his public remarks, but he did say that Beijing is willing to work with the Kremlin to install stability and positive energy into a world in turmoil. The two leaders met on the sidelines of a summit for the eight-nation Shanghai Cooperation Organization. The security alliance was created as a counterweight to U.S. influence in the region. Other than China and Russia, the group also includes India, Pakistan and four former members of the Soviet Union and Central Asia. The last time Xi and Putin met in person was just weeks before Russia invaded Ukraine. Back then, they declared a no-limits partnership and inked a promise to collaborate more against the West. Xi's trip to Uzbekistan was his first outside China since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Chenny Wu, NTD News. And now over to sports news. Here's NTD's Dave Martin with today's top stories. Tennis legend Roger Federer says he's retiring from competitive play today after being out for more than a year following his third knee surgery. The Swiss great broke Pete Sampras's records for Grand Slam titles, finishing with 20, and weeks spent at number one with 310, though both records have since been surpassed. Federer made the announcement via social media.
As many of you know, the past three years have presented me with challenges in the form of injuries and surgeries. I've worked hard to return to full competitive form, but I also know my body's capacities and limits and its message to me lately has been clear. I am 41 years old. I've played more than 1,500 matches over 24 years. Tennis has treated me more generously than I ever would have dreamt and now must recognize when it is time to end my competitive career. The Labour Cup next week in London will be my final ATP event. Federer won his first major at Wimbledon in 2003. It was the start of an incredible run where he racked up 12 of a possible 18 Grand Slam titles over the next four and a half years. Meanwhile, he reached the top of the ATP rankings in February of 2004 and stayed there for a record 237 straight weeks. Although rivals Rafael Nadal and Novak Djokovic would eventually catch up, Federer reinvented himself later in his career with a bigger serve and more aggressive play at the net. He reached the top of the rankings for the final time in 2018 and at age 36 is still the oldest player to do so. He leaves the game with 103 titles overall and more than 1,200 wins. And in sports tonight, six baseball games are on the schedule, while the NFL features a Chiefs-Chargers matchup in Kansas City on Amazon Prime Video's Thursday Night Football. That's all for your sports news today. Back to you, Steph. Thanks, Dave. And that's all for today's news. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Stephanie Cox.